the Cambridge Marketing Podcast with Kiran Kapoor. Brought to you by Cambridge Marketing College. See their range of courses and apprenticeships at marketingcollege.com. This is the 200th episode of the Cambridge Marketing Podcast in this format, and we're celebrating 21,000 downloads. Thank you so much. To celebrate, I've been looking back through the archives, and here is one of my favourite episodes back from 2020 with college fellow Jasper Robertson. Jasper talks about how we tend to view careers as being a ladder. You start at the bottom, perhaps as a marketing assistant, you work your way up, marketing exec, senior marketing exec, perhaps get some qualifications or six, do some training courses, and gradually move into a sort of management leadership role. And that used to be traditionally how we thought of careers. But is becoming a leader really the pinnacle of everyone's career? Is it something that everyone should aspire to? And Jasper also gives some great hints and tips as to how to move from being a manager into being a leader. Uh, well, hi there, uh, Kieran. Um, it's, it's actually one of the rather more complex moves that people will make. And unfortunately, it's not always something that people really take on board and consider before they do it. Um, very frequently, uh, I find that uh, people are operating very successfully as highly competent and highly professional managers and um, they automatically assume the next step is into leadership without actually thinking about what that really means in terms of what their role will be, how they will perform, and uh, what it means for them on a personal level as well as a professional one. So you think there's quite a difference between a manager and a leader? I will be absolutely blunt. I think there are huge differences between the two. It is, it is one that uh, obviously we tend to spend a lot of time um, as, as, we, as we grow up and as we come up through a business um, and get a little bit more experience and get promoted up the proverbial corporate ladder. We start focusing on um, issues that are really, really important for the organisation, but also really important for us as individuals as we move up. And essentially, as a manager, you are looking at how you can monitor and control the organisation, how you can make a direct contribution to the delivery of strategy. But it is about the implementation of somebody else's strategy. Um, as you know, Kieran, I've spent an awful lot of time um, teaching subjects like mastery metrics. Um, and uh, one of the key uh, sort of things that always comes out in that with the CIM is the age old adage of if you can't measure it, you can't manage it. But what really becomes important is that actually, as you move into leadership, the adage is that if you can't measure it, you can't manage it. However, with leadership, the adage does not say, if you cannot measure it, you can't lead it. And I think that's, that's part of the, the real core difference. Um, for me, the manager is about implementation. It's about command and control. It's about utilising resources and quantifying their use, measuring efficiency. Whereas leadership is much more about setting the direction. It's much more about uh, considering what people need, what their role is, and how does one actually give those individuals the freedom and the space to operate and to, um, to really have the freedom to show their capabilities. I've heard you talk about the difference between outcomes and outputs and that managers do one and leaders do the other. 
Uh, indeed, and uh, essentially, this is this is um, a, a topic I frequently return to when talking with people, which is that we all tend to look at the outputs because they're easy to measure and they're easy to quantify. So whether that be um, how many customers you've talked to, whether it be how many uh, potential new leads you've developed, whether it be um, you know the uh, response rate that you get to a particular marketing campaign. The the outputs are very easily quantifiable, they're very easily measured, and therefore they fall in and they're really, really helpful to managers when it comes to setting objectives, um, especially smart objectives. Um, Again, another soapbox subject, but I won't go off on that at the moment. However, most organizations in reality, and certainly when you're leading an organization, actually what you're interested in is not the outputs that are produced, but the outcomes that those outputs deliver. Um, in reality, with any marketing campaign, actually what we're after is um, successful recruitment or in, enhanced sales or whatever the purpose of that particular campaign happens to be. How we do it, how it's implemented, that is a different matter. And actually, if we focus too much on merely the outputs rather than defining what are the successful outcomes from any particular engagement, then in my humble opinion, we're being a little bit short-sighted. So can you um, give me an example of the difference between an, an output and an outcome? Uh, certainly, yes. Um, if one is if one is looking at, uh, let's say, a, a uh, recruitment campaign for new customers, um, being absolutely blunt, the successful outcome that you're looking for is that you have X number of new accounts or new customers or people who are willing to take a trial or take a meeting or whatever it happens to be. Yeah. And therefore, it's, it's those successful engagements which are actually your success factor at the end of the day. If, however, you measure how many customers did you or potential customers did you talk to, how many phone calls did you make, how many uh, outbounds or how many inbounds, how many letters did you send out, those are not actually the measures that you're really after. They are an interim measure, but they, they are part of the process of getting to your successful outcome. Now, those are part of what a manager may well manage, but if you are the leader, what you're really interested in is how do we achieve the outcome that we're after, which is, in this particular instance, more customers. And presumably also something about the right type of customers as well, because they're ah. out. <laughs> it might just be that you get an awful lot of customers that buy once and never buy again. I was going to say, now, now, now you're moving on to phase two of, of successful outcomes, absolutely. Um, because bluntly, you are 100% correct, if not 150%, if one can do that, which let's not get into that argument. Uh, <laughs> But essentially, you're absolutely right, because it is about achieving both new customers, but also the right type of customers uh, who are going to uh, retain with you, whose business you can actually understand and that you can make a long term commitment with to actually become a favoured partner with them and um, really build up your relationship successfully. Um, but there we, we get into uh, sort of all, sorry, all sorts of other elements of what is, what is success, as it were. But actually, that's very part, 
important part of being a leader, isn't it, is defining what success looks like. It is very definitely defining what success looks like. More possibly, actually, more importantly, it's about successfully communicating what that success looks like. Because the last thing a leader is wanting to do is to micromanage their team 24-7. Frankly, the, the team will resent it. You as a leader do not have time to micromanage everybody. And if you cannot build sufficient trust with your team that you have the confidence in them to actually get on and move forward and to be innovative in their own right, then you're not being as successful a leader as you might be. And if I may make so bold, you're being a glorified manager. Okay, so having presumably been chosen to become a leader because you are good at managing and possibly micromanaging, but just managing your outputs, um, then how do you move from that into being a, a leader? Well, the, the, real, the real challenge, first of all, I think, is that it's not just a case that you are selected as a leader. Um, I think, again, this is, this is one of those two-way streets where um, even if you are offered a leadership role, before you jump on that particular bandwagon or that bus, um, then you need to decide, is that a role that is right for you? Is it something that actually you're prepared for? Is it something that you're wishing to do? Because actually, some of us don't necessarily wish to be leaders. You have to understand what you're taking on board. Because actually, as a leader, you are becoming um, the face of the organization. You are expected to know absolutely all the answers all the time. You are expected to be able to operate in any scenario and any situation. And you are expected to do so with confidence, with gravitas and with authenticity. Now. That all sounds a great little shopping list and terribly easy to put together, but it's an awful lot more complex and an awful lot more draining than a number of people realise, which is why you get such high references to things like um, executive burnout, etc. Because actually leadership is a very tiring and, if I may say so, a very lonely role. You make it you sound are... a bit scary, actually. So why, oh. <laughs> why do people think, why do people want to become leaders? Well, I think I think there's twofold. One is that um, there are there are those of those people in this world who are natural leaders. They they don't have a particular set of skills, but you can you you actually notice this, and you notice it as early as um, as um, you know a primary school. If you if you watch any children's playground you will see the natural leaders within that playground. You will see the child who all the others congregate around, who they, you know, they wish to, they wish to be with, they wish to follow them. And, and it's really, really interesting. As we grow up, then um, what we then find is that the natural leaders also just continue that. Now, for some people, they don't necessarily need the formal recognition of a job title of being chief, whatever it is, officer. Some people are very comfortable um, lower down the hierarchy, but making a really, really valuable contribution, being a core influencer and a key player throughout the various different teams. Um, and it really depends what people wish. On the other hand, there are those whose 
professional and personal ambition is to become now whether it be um, chief marketing officer whether it be chief executive officer or chief financial officer who knows um, you know all all of those titles are really important to people um, and the, the tendency is in many people's minds to work on the assumption that providing you've got the knowledge the qualification and the appropriate set of skills then of course you can do this role but um, there are many, many other attributes that are actually required and needed if you are going to be a successful leader. Now, there are hundreds of lists out, out there and books have been written on the subject um, you know, about the, uh, you know, the X number of key skills that any leader must have or the 10 most essential leadership skills for the future. Um, uh, for some reason, most of, most of the lists seem to comp compromise either seven or 10 things, um, which I'm not quite sure why those numbers are selected, but they are legion out there. Um, and please don't get me wrong, they are really interesting reads, they are very helpful and they can, they can assist people in looking at some of the attributes that are needed in a leader. However, I would argue that leadership is not formulaic. It's not something that you can say, if I've got this, this and this skill, then I am perfectly capable of being a leader. I think it is something that is much more akin to a particular art form, if you like. Um, it is a, a very nuanced role and it's about being able to react in different circumstances in different ways. Tell you what, have I got time for a quick story here, Kieran? Oh, yes, please. Oh, OK. Well, as, as you know, I, I spent many years as um, senior business development director for the um, Judge Business School, part of Cambridge University. And whilst I was there, um, I met a great number of um, leaders, some from global organisations, um, as well as uh, developing programmes and um, designing uh, courses for high-performing individuals that organisations had identified as potential future leaders. Um, many of these organisations were, you know, well-recognised leading blue chips, you know, the Barclays, HSBC, um, Welcome Sanger Institute, for example. Um, but there were also some that were operating in some really competitive and really um, high-tech areas. The, the real point of the story was that whilst these were all about uh, leadership development and what makes a leader, there was one real engagement that stood out for me, which was one that uh, we developed with uh, UNICEF for what they referred to as their uh, country representatives. Um, you and I would talk about them as being their, the, their leaders in individual countries. And we, we did exactly what you would expect. We did the trip across to um, UN Plaza in New York. We interviewed a great number of their senior leaders in their HQ, which was absolutely fascinating. Some really incredible people. And coincidentally and by, by chance, actually, we were able to meet a group of the, um, the individuals who would be participants in the course. And I was there with uh, Professor uh, Dame Sandra Dawson. We were doing the sort of needs analysis piece and designing the whole program. And one of the questions that we put to uh, the participants was just tell us a little bit about a typical day. And what do you have to do and how does it go on? And almost 
almost without fail, all of the participants that we spoke to at this point, and I think it was about 12 of them, if I remember correctly, um, they, they all looked at us, and these were individual interviews, but they all looked at us and smiled and basically said, look, there is no such thing as a typical day. You know, um, we, we basically have to deal with whether it be earthquakes, tsunamis, famines, droughts, civil war, and unrest, all sorts of really traumatic things. And, you know, and we sort of, after about the third answer that was identical, we started looking at each other and raising an eyebrow and going, mm, you know. <laughs> the inevitable question came up. It was, you know, well, how do you deal with such upheaval and such a challenge? They almost all said, and I paraphrase slightly, but they basically said, look, our job is to ensure that the team have the freedom to operate and the resources that they need to do their thing successfully. And that really sort of struck a bell both with myself and with um, Dame Sandra. And she referred to this as contextualized leadership. Namely, there is not a, a, a predetermined set of uh, actions. Everything is dependent upon the context that you're operating in. Many of the traditional approaches and many of the traditional courses uh, sort of revolve around the expectations that leaders will tell people what to do. They'll tell them how to do it and they'll tell them what their success is and what it should look like and, and all the rest of it. It's actually about understanding what is needed and what you as a leader have got to do in that particular situation. Um, and re in reality, she boiled it down to a couple of points, which was you don't tell people what to do. You ask them what do they need to do to be more productive. Ask them about what is it that will make your job easier. Understand what it is that actually they need and what are the barriers and the blockers. And it's only when you actually understand how they're operating that you can then become a successful leader because then you can make sure that they know the brief that they're operating within. They have the freedom, the resources to operate. And basically, <laughs> and it sounds awful, but your job as a leader is to get out the way and let them do their job. Well, you've watched people um, grow into leadership. Um, do, you, do you have some sort of um, experiences you can share about people, perhaps some of the lessons you've seen them learn perhaps as they transition? Yes, certainly. I, I mean, I think, I think, you know, I, I mean, at this point in time, we've got to recognise the fact we are going through some really dynamic changes. Um, who knows what the world's going to be looking like in X months time, let alone X years time, you know. But there has been a, a real transition which has occurred, which um, actually was, was identified, gosh, quite some time back. Um, oh, gosh, Drucker, I think it was, that actually identified and coined the phrase of uh, knowledge workers. And we are now really in a world of knowledge workers, whether you call it the, the working from home, the distance worker, the remote worker, whatever phrase you wish to put around it. But the nature of work has changed somewhat. And the, the one thing that I have been observing over the past three to four months, certainly, although there was a real trend in it beforehand, is that the, the style of leadership, and to an extent, the style of management as well. But really, the style of leadership has really, really changed quite a bit. Um, it, it's become much, much more important to be flexible. It's certainly become more important to be more innovative. And I hesitate to use that phrase slightly because it is one that is banded around ad nauseum. Um, but... Um, 
I have to be honest, I keep going back to Tom Peters, you know, the good old phrase, innovate or die. Um, and that is, I think, truer now than it's ever been. The real thing that I've noticed has been a change and a move away from the directive style of management um, and the, to, to an extent the directive style of leadership as well. And if you wish to go back to theories, this is good old McGregor's X and Y theory. Yes, it's probably worth pointing out that theory X is the was the idea of command and control and micromanaging, and theory Y was looking very much at your your outcomes. So your your it was part of your idea of allowing leaders to get out the way and allowing staff and teams to actually come together. Um, you were also talking about how, in times of stress, we all default back to um, methods. Does that mean that somebody moving into leadership can start to default back into being a manager? That That is very much the single biggest problem that people find as they transition through. Being blunt, as, as I've mentioned before, there isn't a handbook, there isn't a formula to follow. It's a bit strange in some respects because it's, it's, the, um, it's the analogy that I always use from um, schools, which is if, if you're looking to progress within, within a school, you become a teacher, you become a really first class teacher and you get promoted. And ultimately, you then get moved into the role of a head. And as a head teacher, in most cases, you don't teach anymore. And therefore, you, you've got to really change the whole approach. And the role of a head teacher these days, especially in large schools, is very much that of an administrator within a teaching environment rather than a teacher with some admin to do. And that change is very similar to the, the transition that people have to do as they move from management into leadership. It's a different beast. It's a different animal. You need to behave differently. You need to recognize that you are on show 24-7 and everybody expects you to have the answers to everything. Whether that be we've run out of coffee and where do we get some more from to what do we do in this crisis situation to where on earth are the extra staff that I was promised and Mary's not coming today. So what do we do? And as a leader of that organization, people expect you to have those answers. Um, it's a really, really challenging role and a really difficult one. And it is so easy to fall back into the, the same approach of providing all of the answers and telling people what to do, when to do it and how to do it. And that is not the role of the leader. Thank you for listening. Over the last 200 episodes, we've built up quite a following of, of listeners around the UK and um, internationally, and I'm so grateful to you. You can always contact the show by using any of the Cambridge Marketing College's social media channels, and it's always lovely to hear from you. Next week, we are talking about B2B marketing. Thank you for listening, and I'll catch you next week. <laughs>